Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, welcome to The Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette, and joining me is, once again, my co-host, Joshua Gray. Hello, John. How are you doing? Um, happy I'm, Friday. Happy Friday, yeah. yeah. Well, a little hoarse today. Got to go witness the Golden Knights pull out an overtime win last night against the Montreal Canadiens. Filthy goal in overtime, Beautiful wasn't it? goal by yeah, Shea Theodore. Wonderful. Um, but yeah, so I'm a little scratchy today because of that. <laughs> I uh, feel good other than that, though. But uh, just thought... I'd... Well, if you need me to pinch hit for you, hey, thank you for not <laughs> taking vacation, you know, because... Only one person on this show is allowed to take leave <laughs> and is allowed to, you know, not do the show. So thank you for not making me pinch hit as the host again. No, I don't, my, my priorities are uh, are set for 2022. That's good. Worry. Oh, what are your priorities? What are your priorities? Do you have priorities? Yeah, this podcast. Right nice, now. nice. <laughs> it's glad we're both invested now. Exactly. It's, right. it's taken a year and a half, but we got there. <laughs> well... A year and a half in, and we have two brand new guests today. Uh, we've been doing a lot of our, our frequent flyers. But I love new guests. It's always great to have new guests on here and bring some some new life to the podcast. Um, it's a topic that we've covered before, mm-hmm. suicide prevention. Yep. Um, but some of our, our personnel have shifted around a little bit, and we are welcoming two people. We have Mr. Alfonso Gibbs Jr., and we have Benjamin or Ben Starks? Ben's fine. Okay. And uh, both of these gentlemen are fairly new to the VA here in Vegas. Um, ben, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about how you came about uh, to this position here and, you know, where you traveled from. Okay. Um, so I am returning to the Las Vegas VA. I worked briefly in um, homeless services uh, back in 2019, but I've been with the VA since um, 2008. Um, most of that time's been with the suicide prevention program, so I'm probably one of the original or one of the few suicide prevention coordinators that are left from that original group that started in 2007, 2008. Um, I've worked in a small VA in, in central, South Central Ohio, and then I worked at Phoenix, and then I've been a suicide prevention coordinator at the Fayetteville, Arkansas, uh, VA, uh, came back here when there's the opportunity to be the, uh, lead suicide prevention coordinator. So that's what drew me back was, you know, just the opportunity to have, um, uh, to lead this VA. And it's also, you know, it's a, it's a, a great VA as far as, um, you know, just being very progressive and being very, um, you know, open to new ideas and, 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 and making suicide prevention a priority. So that, that's what kind of drew, drew me back. Um, um, like I said, I've worked on a, you know, a, a, for several of our national priorities in the past. Uh, just having been with the suicide prevention program for so long. So I know I'm really excited to come back here and share some of the experiences and knowledge I have. So, Alfonso, yes. when did you join us? I came here in July of 2015. Um, moved here from Maryland and uh, started with the homeless program. Uh, did that for three years and then uh, three years in the mental health intensive case management program. So, uh, 
just started this new position in August of last year. Well, we're happy to have both of you guys here joining us and uh, here at the VA. Uh, Alfonso, now you and I started kind of working together just before the holiday break. Um, you wrote an article for a men's health publication, mm -hmm. uh, kind of about this topic. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your involvement with that publication and then kind of the, the gist of the article? Well, that was actually for Men's Health Network, which is a national organization uh, that I've been involved with as uh, an advisory board member for close to 20 years. Um, I have a public health background, and I started out um, just participating, uh, doing um, presentations for uh, Congressional Black Caucus, um, Johns Hopkins University, and uh, several other uh, opportunities that I've had to either publish or present um, various articles and, and, and topics. This article was titled Holiday Blues, and it's focusing on uh, addressing issues that people have around the holidays, um, dealing with depression, dealing with uh, loneliness, dealing with being separated from friends and loved ones, and the pressures of trying to stay jolly when one may not feel so jolly. Now, you know, the holidays have passed, but a lot of people kind of associate January as kind of being the, you know, one of the most depressing times of the year. You know, here it doesn't get that cold, but, you know, a lot of people around the country, it's, it's shut in because it gets pretty cold outside. You don't want to spend as much time outdoors. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you've got the the, the kind of hangover, if you will, after the holidays where your, your family, you know, if you did get to spend time with loved ones and family, they're gone now. They've gone back to their mm -hmm. lives and their homes, and you're kind of getting back into the, the normal routine of life, but, you know, you, you don't have that excitement anymore with the, the optimism of the holidays. Um, you know, how does that affect you guys with, you know, suicide prevention? Um, are you, you know, kind of keenly aware of some of those challenges? So this is one of the things that's really surprising for a lot of people around the realm of suicide prevention is that suicides actually decrease during the winter. Wow. That's, Why that's that? contrary yeah. to popular that's, belief. Yeah, it's actually very contrary to popular belief. Now, it, in this part of the country, it, that may be a little bit different just because areas like Phoenix and Las Vegas and cities in Texas and Florida get an influx of people moving to them in the winter mm. because of snowbirds. So you might see an increase just because you have more people living in. Like I lived in Phoenix for a couple of years and we used to joke that the reward of living in Phoenix during the summer was you could actually drive through the city <laughs> because, you know, the city almost, I think it increased by like 30% of the population during the winter. But, um, no, historically across the country, suicides go down in the winter. They they increase and peak in the mid spring and throughout the summer. Um, I, nobody really knows for sure why. I think some of it comes down to, um, you know, as whether the. Um, you know, I should, I'm, we're actually talking about theories here and, and that, you know, it's hard to get exact science on why, but theories have been posted about the idea that as weather weather warms up, people get more energy and now they're more able to act on those mm -hmm. those feelings. A lot, of, a lot of times with traditional seasonal affective disorder, the 
the primary symptom of that is like uh, adhenia, that loss of energy, loss of interest, that like I'm depressed and I just don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get up and do anything. And, um, you know, as the weather gets warmer, the your energy levels increase before your mood improves. So okay. now you feel awful and you have the energy to escape that feeling. That's been one thought. Uh, the other thought is, is that, you know, there's just a lot of things that push people to be more, even though we think of summer as like the time you go out for vacations and you do stuff, but it's also very isolating. There's not the things that pull people together as much. So your sense of isolation and failed belonging increases during the summer, during that, especially that early part of the spring, mm-hmm. which is that sense of ice, uh, failed belonging and burdensomeness are really two of the hallmarks of the suicidal mind. Yeah, it's one of those things like during the spring, everybody's finally getting out and going and doing things. And like if 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 my 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 wife and I, we're going to go hiking and that kind of takes us away from everybody else. And, yeah. you know, everybody's off doing their own thing because they can finally be free and get out. That actually does seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And well, then you also have individuals who have been disconnected in, during the winter. And now it's even heightened that they yeah. have no one to interact with to do those do things, things you just mentioned. Yeah. Or they might have anxiety, anxiety <clears throat> about finally throat> having throat> to engage with people. And, sure. and the other part to that is that sense of not just being isolated, but that sense of failed belonging. So mm-hmm. now, I, now I want to do stuff and be connected to people. And I, I tried to, and now I failed at it, which and is even worse than just being isolated. Like, okay, I'm alone, which is bad enough. But let's say I try to connect with people and that fails. Well, that's that's like that's, a, you know, you just think about it. That's even a thousand times worse. Sure. Well, and you couple that with the ongoing issues with with COVID, you know, yeah. we're dealing with Omicron right now. And it seems like every time we have the chance to kind of like emerge like, oh, well, you know, get a little bit better that waves gone. Like, I think we can probably go back into public and start going to hockey games again and going to movie theaters. theaters. And then all of a sudden. Nope, we got another variant. You know that that con- constant, constant. You the know, yo-yo. Yeah. You know, nope. Shelter in place. No, okay, you're good. No, no, go back in isolation. Um, you know, what does that do to the mental health for some of these veterans and you know, the general society? You know, when you're going into isolation and then not, and then not. You know. Well, a lot of those people are have been in isolation anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, our research shows that 11 of the 17 veterans that are successful at taking their lives are not connected to anything anyway. So it's not as though we get it all clear and they're suddenly bombarded with friends and relationships. Mm-hmm. They didn't have them to start with. So it just, it just it's almost like a flat line that doesn't peak. It's just the same. Now, when yeah. you said that the 11 of the 17 are not connected to anyone anyway, do you mean from a healthcare standpoint, or do you mean, like, socially connected? Both. They're not connected to the VA for resources and services. They're not connected to family and friends. They're n- they're, they are totally isolated. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's the whole get-off-my-lawn kind of thing, and no one comes yeah. around. And as a result, it just pushes them farther into depression, and they don't know how to change it when you talk about that are those people isolated by choice or is it like maybe they don't know how to make connections how much of a challenge is it for you to to get them to make those connections then so they don't feel that isolation 
It it varies because, I mean, even here in Las Vegas, we have rural areas that are isolating just based on the locale. Mm -hmm. And so if you're sitting in, uh, is it uh, Panaca, for example, or some other area outside or closer to Utah than Las mm -hmm. Vegas, and you may have 5, 10, 15 miles between yourself and another um, connection, what's that look like for you? And so it, it, it just, it really varies. And so it's not, there's no one answer. No. I, I mean, we talk a lot about with suicide that there's no single cause. And I think that's an important thing to remember that there, it's, a, it's a complex interaction of risk factors and protective factors. But I have noticed, and this is this is purely anecdotal. But you know, in the past, my past one of my past roles was I wrote up every issue brief, which is the report we send to our network and to the national office on the deaths that we find out about. And at my previous VA, we had really good relationships with our county coroners, so we found out about a lot more deaths than some other VAs. Uh, and what I can tell you is one of the things we did hear a lot was when followed up with families was the veterans that died a lot of the veterans that died by suicide did say things like or their families reported saying them telling things like I just I missed so many of the things I used to enjoy doing like going even if it was just going to a, a flea market that I, that I sold my crafts at or so I do think I, I do think as this pandemic's worn on people have gotten really frustrated with not frustrated with but it, it is something that's really worn on a lot of people because it has it has harmed their sense of connection to people um and that's yeah. when you're saying that the sense of connection to people i mean you just mean friends family, family loved ones loved, yeah and just routine routine yeah, yeah. Just you think routine. about how, how important routine is yeah. to yourself i yeah. mean you know, you go on an extended, like I had a back surgery six, seven years, six years ago. And I was off work for four months. Uh, not having to get up in the morning to go to work, get ready for stuff. How weird that feels. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you know, towards like the, you know, first couple of weeks was, okay, I was, you know, I was miserable because I just got stabbed in the back multiple times because, <laughs> you know, they rearranged my spine and put a bunch of steel rods and plates in. But once that pain for that, and I started like, okay, I can get up and move around. But it's like, I missed getting up, going to work. I'm like texting my coworkers like, hey, what's going on at work? You know, because mm -hmm. I missed that. And from a veteran standpoint, I feel like that's something that's it's such a, you know, routine is such a huge thing because mm -hmm. your daily routine as a military service member is wake up for PT, report to work. You know, there is so much structure and guidelines. And I think because so much of our veteran population is either retired from the military or, you know, retired from other careers, you know, we see it with the civilian world when they when people retire, they tend to lose some of that reason for being, you know. Um, you know, so obviously for veterans who have even more structure, uh, that could be, you know, even bigger issue even before yeah. the COVID, you know, pandemic. Well, when you think about the fact that the average, and I don't have this from research or anything, but if you think that the average soldier mm -hmm. enlists in the early 20s, late teens, early 20s, 
if they put in 10, 15 years of service, that's 10, 15 years of structured life, yep. habits, mm -hmm. practices, behaviors. And it's, and it's not unlike, and people don't make this connection, but it's not really that different than someone that's been incarcerated for the same period of time at that age. It wouldn't be the first time I've heard a service member refer to their <laughs> service as time and, time and uh, <laughs> in the clink. It's funny you mention that, though, because I, I did 20 years and retired, and then when I got my first job in the civilian job market, uh, after they extended the offer to me, they asked me if I had any questions. I'm like, yeah, what do I wear? Because I've literally <laughs> never dressed myself for work. Yeah, you, like, you never had I've to never had to. Like, yeah, it was, well, do I wear the green one or the blue one? <laughs> you know, and, right. and how you wear that is prescribed for, right? right. So right. Right. I never had to, I literally never had to dress myself for work. Yeah. So all those decisions that have been put in abeyance that you didn't have to make are now front and center. Everything from your bills to, you know, how do you get to work and, 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 and everything that's that's been done for you you now have to do for yourself and if if you don't have that sense of connection that you did have mm -hmm. now it's gone and now you've got to fix it and fend for yourself and create it that's it's more daunting than it than it might seem and we take that for granted because they look like everybody else yeah it's one thing to learn how to dress yourself for work when you're 18 it's another thing when you're 38 right? exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah. exactly or make friends and, and sure thank yeah. you yeah. Absolutely. i mean i retired yeah. from um being a competitive athlete when I was in my, so I hung up my wrestling shoes when I was in my early, tw about 26, my last, uh, my last tournament would have been the uh, U.S. Nationals here in 97, uh, but yeah, all from like age five to 20, 20, I would have been like 24 then, like friends, I never had to make friends because I always had the team I was training or practicing with. And it's like, God, and now i got to actually, like, interact with people and make friends. and. Yeah, nobody tells you how to do that when you're an adult. No, no one, <laughs> do, no one does. And like I said, I was like, I'm sitting there like, yeah, because, like, you know, 25, you know, especially when I was in college, like 25 to 30 hours a week, I'm with this group of guys all the time. Sure. Right. Yeah, in, in the military, you're overseas. Yeah. Right? And you're like, well... You're my family. You're it. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're all I have, literally. It's literally. either that or learn German. Right? <laughs> and, and when you come out, when you come out, now you've got to figure out all the things that, that were done for you. And you don't know, because, again, those, those were your friends. Some stayed. They don't have time for you. You've mm -hmm. got to, and, and if you come out with any type of mental health diagnosis mm -hmm. and now you're trying to navigate this civilian life with this diagnosis what's that look like mm -hmm. where do you go who do you talk to how do you make that happen and and I, I've said this in the work that I'm doing now uh, my, my position is community partnership engagement coordinator within the suicide um, prevention program and I look at we have recruiting centers all throughout the community to get you into the military. Mm -hmm. When you come out of the military, where are those, you know, I want to recruit you back into the community. 
where where are those places for veterans who are now floundering out and about? So there, fortunately, the VA is doing a lot more to create things. Um, there's a program I learned about earlier this week called Don't Wait, Reach Out. Mm-hmm. And um, it, they, you go online and look that up, and there are any number of links and scenarios to various resources that veterans and family members can connect with and identify that looks like something that would apply to my aunt or my sister or my uncle or my father you know, or, or my son. So it, 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 we're trying to make it such that families, family, because my focus is veterans, service members, and their families. Mm-hmm. family members because it's a public health approach that we're looking at and so in taking a public health approach we're, we're looking at the entire environment not just the individual the VA or the, the veterans are not just veterans their parents their spouses and 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 and, and when a when a service member gets deployed their family goes in deployment and so we've got to be able to be receptive, responsive, and reactive to that scenario that we've created. It's not just that person that's gone to Germany or wherever, mm-hmm. because just like we were talking about doing a prison sentence, well, the family does that same time. And, so, you know, and thankfully, mm-hmm. you know, the VA and you know the active duty military have done a lot with the transition assistance programs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had. Uh, some of our, our VA reps on here before talking about some of the, the programs in place to help veterans and their families kind of transition out, kind of like the reverse recruiting process mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. were talking about. So, um, you know, that's, that's a really important step, I know, for, for people who are getting out. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with our suicide prevention coordinators. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Getting a flu shot helps us stay healthy, so we don't miss out on what matters. Like that family movie night your daughter can't live without. (coughs) Yeah, can't do that. Every year, millions of people in the U.S. get the flu. Especially now, no one has time to miss out on moments that matter. So get your flu shot. Find out more at GetMyFluShot.org. Brought to you by the AMA, CDC, and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. 
Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome back to the Nine Line Podcast. John and Josh here with uh, Alfonso and Ben from our suicide prevention program. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about some of the things that uh, veterans are dealing with, with you know, the pandemic, with the seasonal issues. But you know, with your jobs, you need to try to obviously get there before these issues manifest. Uh, what do you guys do for outreach? What's you know, what are what do you find to be the most effective ways to reach these veterans? Um, you know, one is to meet them where they're at and where we can find veterans. And the other, the other thing is strategies to get, uh, to get veterans into care and identify veterans at, um, risk. So one of the, you know, a lot of people don't, I shouldn't say a lot. Many people probably don't realize that Nevada is part of what's called the governor's challenge to end veteran suicide. Uh, one of the, one of the strategic steps of that is um well actually two i'd like to highlight one is identifying veterans who might be at risk and the other one is improving connection so you know right now i think a big goal is you know encouraging you know working with social service providers healthcare providers across the state to to work to identify veterans you know, again, uh, a lot of veterans who are eligible for care don't don't seek it through the VA. They don't. They might not even realize they're veterans. So, you know, working with healthcare providers, other social service agencies to screen if people are veterans and making sure they're screening properly. So, asking instead of asking, "Are you a veteran?" but asking the right way, "Have you ever served in the U.S. military?" Uh, and then, you know, working with partnerships and coalitions of, like, hospitals, social service agencies, to work with them to get them to do that, uh, ask that question that way. Uh, and then working with, um, you know, organizations that might serve veterans so we can reach out to them and encourage them, like, you know, if people are struggling or help them get to enrollment so we can get people into care. Um, and I'll let Alfonso talk a little bit about some of the things he's doing to sure. build partnerships and, and um, coordination. And and that is um, a good, uh, that is a lot of what I, I'm tasked with. Um, ben listed two of the priority areas, and the third is um, lethal means safety, uh, improving uh, lethal means safety training, and 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 so. What we want to be able to do, and what my job is to, is to work with community coalitions, identify community coalitions that have an interest in addressing suicide prevention among service members, uh, veterans, and their families. And so it could be, in fact, right now I'm working with um, Lincoln County, I'm working with Nye County, I've uh, gone down to um, Laughlin and um, working with an organization called Together with Veterans. And we're looking at any number of things. It could be um, safety planning with children. Um, I introduced uh, an opportunity to look at, uh, to, to marvel, or not marvel, but to um, consider legislation that Atlanta schools have put together to um, 
basically teach gun safety to children. Mm -hmm. So um, we're looking at, uh, in terms of other lethal means, we're looking at trying to make sure that veterans keep their, 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 their drugs, their medications, out of the reach of adolescent and teenage children who may be feeling uh, loss and separation because of the way we've handled this whole pandemic. Now they're not engaging with their friends at the same level that they used to. So they're feeling the sense of disconnect. So we need to do a better job of where we put our medications. So it's any number of, of things like that. And so I'm working with uh, churches, I'm working with, as I said, various community organizations, um, couple of things, another or, couple of other organizations I'm working, working with are the Governor's Challenge and the Mayor's Challenge. And um, we're looking at any number of initiatives. Um, together with veterans, we just completed a strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats analysis, SWOT analysis, just a few weeks ago. And we're looking at um, what we can do to um, focus on these things. And, and, and the beautiful thing about that organization, though, that group, is they're made up of veterans, they're made up of uh, family members, they're made up of community leaders, school administrators, um, hospital administrators. And so bringing in that cross-pollination, if you will, of thoughts, ideas, and experience um, will allow us to really hone in on the things that we can do to put something together that is, is it touches on any number of groups and organizations and families. So going back to the, the lethal means that you were mm -hmm. mentioning before, you know, Nevada's got a very, you know, kind of like, don't tell me what to do mindset, you mm -hmm. know, it's very libertarian, um, you know, a lot of uh, firearm owners here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the VA has had a program in place for quite a long time about offering gun safety locks. And you know, there's been a lot of studies sh shown like how having just that extra time required to open that lock makes a lot of people, you know, second guess mm -hmm. their choices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with us having such a large rural catchment area as well, and you know, them having a, la a larger suicide rate, do you find any pushback, or is it a challenge to kind of get some of our veterans to buy into, you know, accepting some of those lethal means standards? You know, it, it can be. And I, this is, you know, this is where the intersection of a public health approach, which would be encouraging everyone to, to, um, you know, encouraging lethal means and a clinical approach, which is we need to meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. This is where it intersects. And, you know, the ideal would be if somebody is having a lot of emotional distress, would be like, okay, you probably shouldn't have a firearm or a lethal means with you at this time mm -hmm. while you're going through this degree of high, you know, high emotional distress. Reality is a lot of people, that's just not, they're not going to do that. Sure. If you broke, and if, if that's like, if I was working with an individual veteran and if I approach that from that stance, we're shutting down the conversation at that point. So this is where a skilled clinician needs to be flexible and, talk about you know compromise and realizing that 
from my stance, you know, there's probably a middle ground between, you know, a person literally having a gun under their pillow that's mm-hmm. loaded and ready to go, and that individual not having any guns. There's probably somewhere in the middle that would provide some level of time and space between them and the weapon to give them some chance to rethink their actions that's safer than the one extreme mm-hmm. but may, might not be the ideal but it's still better and that we can both agree to and that's you know that's the part that you know it really takes uh, uh, the the clinician's touch to uh, listen to validate that person's feelings and express genuine concern and and sometimes even bringing um, you know a concern that might not even necessarily be suicide related. I, I remember at one time I had a, a veteran kind of, kind of, you know, was asking why were we giving out gun locks at a, at an outreach event? And I, I just told him, I, I just don't want anything bad to happen to you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, and, this, and he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you know, guns can be dangerous. I mean, that's what they were designed to do. I mean, I, I like shooting sports, but I also understand that, this is a device designed to launch a bullet, which has an intention of killing or injuring something. And, um, you know, and they do that from time to time. I mean, I, I was an ER social worker year back in my civilian career, um, my non-government career at a children's hospital. And we had a child who was brought in dead uh, that was shot by his sibling who accidentally got a hold of an unsecured handgun in the home. And the, I can tell you that, that that destroyed that family. And I shared that story with this veteran. It's like, I just don't want that to happen to you. And, you know, this was somebody I just met in an outreach. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's um, that would be really awful if that happened to me. I guess I'll take a gun lock. Yeah. And I don't know if he used it, if he threw it away. I I don't know. But, I mean, at that moment, he was like, yeah, I probably, this might not be a bad idea to have one. At least you changed the perspective. Yeah, change the bit, percep- right? yeah. perspective that, oh, we're not trying to control you. I'm just, mm-hmm. like, doing this because I genuinely care about you, and I don't want something to happen. I don't want to read about this, you know, event like this happening to you in the mm-hmm. newspaper. And that's that's how... We, for example, like I said, the, the group down in, in Lincoln, uh, uh, Nye County, we're looking at it from the standpoint of we want to protect our children. So it's not about taking the guns out of the house. We're just making the guns that are in the house safe for the children because you want to protect them. They, these are school-aged children, and you want them to have a full life. And no one's and, – and that's more – the community is having that conversation with the other community members mm-hmm. not the government not the va no other entity is coming in telling that family it's a it's a community conversation and a community and individual decision yeah you know it's a vet you know i was reading a, a project done at a, a va and i want to say there was maybe the clarksburg va I don't, I, I don't remember. It was a VA in West Virginia where it was a peer-to-peer discussion about means restriction. So it was a, a peer support specialist um, and actually had trained, like I think vets at, um, maybe it was like a VFW or DAV to have these discussions with other vets. So, I mean, this really 
you know, this, like, like Alfonso was saying, this vet-to-vet, peer-to-peer discussion. It wasn't the government doing that. And, it, you know, I think it went over really well. Um, one thing I wanted to hit on with Alfonso was talking about, like, you know, securing guns to keep children safe. That also keeps our veterans safe, mm-hmm. you know. If, if, if the gun's inaccessible to the kid, it also delays accessibility mm-hmm. for the veteran. If the meds are locked up and a teenager can't get to them to overdose or use for other nefarious means, mm-hmm. it makes it harder for a, an adult to do that. But also, could you imagine how you'd feel if your kid killed himself with mm-hmm. their gun um, or overdose on your meds? So that also keeps our veterans safe. So if people are wondering why we, we, we do these things that involve protecting the whole family, you, you the whole family, if, if they're safe, it protects our veterans. I mean, that idea of a rising tide raises all ships. Mm-hmm. So obviously firearm safety is something that's uh, kind of near and dear to both of you. Um, one question I've got as, as we kind of, we're getting low on time here. Um, you're both relatively new here to the, to the program. Um, suicide coordination is a nationwide thing, right? There's a, there's a national mm-hmm. office that, that, that covers it um, and kind of guides how you do what you do on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, there's a little bit of room for at the local level to kind of work your own things in there. So as, as you both are stepping into these new roles, what, what kind of flavor are, are both of you looking to bring to the suicide prevention uh, community and, and programs here in Las Vegas dealing with veterans? Well, I, I can say because I've, I've probably got a little bit more latitude than, than Ben, given that I'm working with community organizations and the like. Um, m- what I'm trying to do right now is take the priority areas that Ben and I highlighted and infuse them in a subtle way <laughs> with these various community organizations because they're at the table, they've expressed interest. So let me give you something to consider. And as a result, uh, they're embracing those things because nothing that, and these are research-based, so it's not like the VA's just picked some priority areas out of the sky. So it's a win-win for all that are involved that want to um, uh, sit at the table. And um, there's an opportunity to create a more public health approach to how even the VA is seen. Um, case in point, uh, more recent uh, situa- another recent situation that occurred was um, a veteran approached me about getting a uh, family therapist uh, for their family, and that's not something that we do. I mean that, and, and I, in embracing it, I said, well, I'm not trying to turn the VA into child protective services. That's not it. But if we're able to have a uh, collection of resources that we've vetted, that we know that if we refer that veteran family to that particular agency or provider, we know what we're going to get because we've given it our stamp of approval, for example. You know, and I think you said the word public health mm-hmm. more in this this podcast than I've heard anybody talking about <laughs> suicide prevention use that word, those two words before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, um, 
actually not much different than what Alfonso said. There are things we have to do in a in a clinical setting, in a clinical setting, uh, as far as you know, following up with veterans who have been identified as high risk, doing follow ups with crisis line calls. But really, my belief, um, and I made this clear when they were hiring me, and I so they still hired me. So I I believe this has <laughs> our facility leadership stamp of approval is that a public health model is really what the suicide prevention team should be doing. Uh, We have a lot of clinicians that can do a lot of the clinical care, but the more we can get, more we can reach out to the public and and get build uh, coalitions, build connections, do outreaches, get veterans enrolling in care, getting them brought into care, the more the needle can move to the left. And I say move to the left, you read left to right. So that's the beginning of, of lowering the numbers. Uh, and that's a much more effective way of reducing the number of suicides and, and then trying to, um, to uh, just continually work with veterans who are just at the highest risk. Hopefully we're, we have the mental health resources, we have the healthcare resources to available for our our clinicians to do that work we need to get veterans into care and that's probably our biggest goal so it not that much different i think that that public health approach um is what's going to make the biggest difference i mean nationally only about half of all eligible veterans and i'm not 100 percent sure if that's the exact statistic but somewhere around there receive care through the va yeah, and we know from the the suicide prevention numbers, you know, that they say that uh, you know of the eighteen veterans who commit suicide every day, they say what eleven mm-hmm. are connected to VA care. Correct. So, or I'm sorry, oh, eleven not, have not been not, connected not, with VA yeah. care. So, I mean, that's that's a huge number that we need to try to to cut into to to stem the flow. But, gentlemen, we are running out of time here. Thank you so <laughs> yeah, much for being here. One quick thing, just because this topic is so heavy, um, if anyone, ha- you know, because it can be triggering for people mm-hmm. to, to to mention, so just out of safety, if, this, if you've listened to this podcast and, um, I, you know, I think we've, we've tried to be as, talk about it as safely as possibly, mm-hmm. but if it's, you know, if, you, you know, if you're having thoughts or, you know, you need someone to talk to, please reach out to the Veterans Crisis Line. And the number for that is 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 to reach the the National Call Center. So I just want to make sure. Yep, you beat me to it because I was actually about, okay, just about to ask you that. No, no, no. <laughs> Perfect. And the other thing, too, is uh, make sure everyone else here knows that uh, if you are in need of counseling, you need somebody to talk to, we do offer same-day mental health care services at all of our facilities. You know, that's not appointment required. You can come in and be seen that same day um, in addition to the national line that you just gave. So, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening, folks. We will see you in two weeks. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Las Vegas VA. Thanks for listening.